This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Game time with Boomer Esiason. This week's guest is the captain of the Super Bowl champion L.A. Rams and Walter Payton Man of the Year, Andrew Whitworth. Today's guest says he doubts that anything could top the four days in February when he was named Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year and then helped his Los Angeles Rams win Super Bowl 56 over his former team, the Cincinnati Bengals. It is my pleasure to welcome future Hall of Fame offensive tackle Andrew Whitworth to game time. Big Whit, what's happening? It's great to see you. What's going on, Boomer? So happy to be here, man. Yeah, it's great to see you. And you know what? I love the fact that you got a chance to enjoy winning a Super Bowl. I mean, you paid the price. You played so many years, so many games. Uh, has the celebration finally stopped or are you still celebrating with your family and friends? You know, it's still little daily reminders, things you just you don't even think about when you're walking around or going around town, dropping the kids off to school. Somebody will say something to you about it and it, it reminds you all over again. But yeah, I mean, it's going to be something obviously as a family we're going to uh, think about and, and celebrate just within our group uh, for some, quite some time. We all know how much it, it takes to get there and, and really the journey that it was. And so uh, it's been really special to us. And, and the kids are living high right now, that's for sure. Yeah. And what a journey you've been on. So let's get this out of the way up front right now. Have you decided to retire or to, to stay? And by the way, if you need a little bit more time to answer this, I'll ask you again at the end of the show. <laughs> I love it. You're right. That's uh, that's definitely been the question. To me, I think that's a decision probably in the next couple of weeks that I'll kind of come to, hey, all right, I think this is the final decision. And I definitely think it looks like I'm going to retire. I mean, what a way to end it. Uh, it'd be really special to call that my last game, two places I love so much, uh, playing against each other in the Super Bowl. But, you know, we'll see. In the next couple of weeks, I'll, I'll uh, make sure I finalize that and I feel good about where I'm at physically and the family feels good about everything else and, and uh, we'll move forward. You know, I read about a story between you and your wife. You were having a conversation when you were leaving the Bengals and you ultimately decided to sign with the Rams. And you were saying you're leaving one losing franchise and going to another losing franchise. But there was Sean McVay at the beginning of all this. What did you see in him as a young coach that made you want to sign with the Rams? I think that for me, when I really met Sean McVay, had a chance to sit with him, I realized, wow, we see things the exact same way. Uh, we've kind of talked about that all the time. We hit it off from the second we met. And that I was really excited about that opportunity, but I thought the chances of winning were pretty much over for me just because of the state of what that franchise was at when we were going there. You guys go to Super Bowl 53, and it was a very disappointing Super Bowl, I'm sure, for you and the entire offense. Um, after the game, you know, Sean McVay said, 
Look, I was outcoached by Bill Belichick, and he was very open about his respect for Coach Belichick. I'm just wondering that experience, what it did to him leading into Super Bowl 56 and how he changed as a coach because of that experience. Yeah, I think it really helped him develop uh, not just for the Super Bowl, but for, uh, for moving forward as a coach in general. I think that he really felt like that time before that game, he might have overthought it and, and done too much research and too much studying to try and almost over outthink himself a little bit instead of just sticking to things that I think he thought were his core principles as a coach. And so he always kind of felt that way from that game. You know, I don't know if I believe that. I think that, um, you know, as players, we, we have to play and play well. And I, I thought that was one of the games that we, you know, really, if you look at our season, probably one of the worst games we played all year. And I think that's what we felt is if we had just stayed in it and not got so down on ourselves in that Patriots game that things weren't going our way, instead of just having an attitude of like, hey, man, it's only going to take one drive to bounce ourselves back in this thing. And I think this time we figured out a way to do that. You face Aaron Donald pretty much every day in practice, and you've watched him work over the last four, four or five years. Uh, try to explain to people out there just how difficult it is to block him one-on-one -on -one and how he can wreck a game for an opposing offense. Yeah, you really look at AD. I think when you look across the NFL and you and you try to find who are the great rushers, who are the great guys on defense that you say, man, this guy's the difference maker for his football team. What really sets AD apart is he's not a guy that you'd say, all right, this guy plays with power or he plays with just speed or he's really savvy and a veteran guy who's going to kind of know the plays and figure them out and, and have kind of a head start. He's a combination of all the above. And not to mention the last and probably most important is he's going to play harder than anybody on the football field. And you realize, wow, not only is this guy special, his work ethic and the example he sets every single day is, is rare one-of-one -one type stuff. Good news for the Rams and bad news for all those offensive lines that have to face them. All right, we're just getting warmed up with the great Andrew Whitworth. Stay with us as game time continues right after this. I have a little uh, game that I like to call Cincinnati Kidding. Are you up for a challenge right now? Uh, I hope so. We'll see. All right, here we go. Question number one. There is not a chance. That I, know that one. <laughs> I didn't think so. Welcome back to Game Time with Boomer Esiason. Welcome back to Game Time, everyone. Andrew Whitworth grew up in West Monroe, Louisiana, where they celebrated Big Whit Whitworth Day after the Rams Super Bowl victory. He was a tennis champion, believe it or not, and a promising golfer. But football was where Whitworth made his mark, leading his high school to four state championship games and winning three titles. I got to believe, Andrew, the reason you went to LSU is because you're from there and LSU has such a huge presence in Louisiana. LSU was obviously somewhere that a lot of kids from my school went. I actually, though, believe it or not, was a uh, Florida commit to Steve Spurrier for a while until Nick Saban was hired. In my senior year in high school, Nick Saban got hired and one meeting with him and, and I knew this guy was different and I uh, changed over to becoming an LSU Tiger. Yeah, you know, interestingly enough, I read where you had four championship games, three in high school, one in college, all at the Superdome. So a pretty good place for you to play, huh? Yeah, I had a lot of success there. I don't know that the people in Louisiana enjoyed my success that much in the NFL there, but um, they haven't been a big fan of that part. But they, they enjoyed the college and high school, high school success for sure. Yeah, I don't know if you know this, but just like me, you were drafted in the second round by the Cincinnati Bengals. Of course, you were the 2006 draft. I was the 1984 draft. I was really mad. You probably don't know my story, and I don't want to tell you my story. How did you feel when you were drafted by the Bengals in the second round? 
You know what? It was really unbelievable. I thought, you know, for me, I, I didn't really see myself as a guy that was going to go that early. And and um, I kind of – I'd heard first round, I'd heard second round, I'd heard third and fourth. So I really had no idea. And then it, all of a sudden I met Paul Alexander at the Combine, and he told me I was going to be a first-round pick. So really that was the only team that had really talked to me about being picked early. And they ended up selecting Jonathan Joseph for their first one. So I knew when that second-round pick came around there was a chance – um, so it was pretty special when Marvin Lewis was on that phone when I picked it up. And, and man, what, a, what an amazing 11 years that would be for me in my career. Yeah, you know, I actually got the phone call from Sam Weish, and I was just happy somebody called me. I thought they forgot about me, actually. Um, you know, I was thinking about Paul Alexander, your offensive line coach, really a disciple of Jimmy McNally, the great offensive line coach he was. He was my offensive line coach in Cincinnati. They, tr- they changed your position. You went from guard to tackle under Marvin Lewis and Paul Alexander. Tell the, the fans out there the difference between playing those two positions and why it's so important to be named a starting left tackle in the NFL. You know, I think really when you look at those positions, I'd played left tackle in college and, um, you know, really felt like it was a position I liked. But when I was going through the combine process, at that time in the NFL, there was a lot of really big guards. And that was kind of a deal there. You'd have, a, you know, you, you thought your offensive line, really, if you looked across the NFL in 2006, was really all just massive human beings. You don't have as much of that now, but it was really how big, how strong can your O-line be. And so a lot of people saw me as a guy who was a little stiff and didn't know if they could play left tackle. So they would thought that I'd be more have a future at left guard or possibly playing right tackle. And so the first couple of years, honestly, is one of the best experiences for me to get a chance to play some of that early in my career because I, I, I kind of got to learn the power that was needed to play at this level. And then as my body changed and I found ways to become more athletic, I learned that left tackle position. And and really, it's the difference in playing in a little three-foot box. And when you play outside at left tackle, it's like being a man-to-man corner. There's a whole lot of space for them to make you miss. Okay, we're going to return to relive the Rams' dramatic playoff run with Andrew Whitworth right after these messages. Brought to you by the Ford Bronco Sport. Built Ford Tough. It's time for a change. Instead of working from home, work from your luxury suite at Midtown Manhattan's crown jewel, the Kimberly Hotel. Now offering special monthly rates with the most impeccable safety and hygiene protocols to keep you safe. You're watching Game Time with Boomer Esiason. The 2021 Rams entered the playoffs as the NFC West champions. In their first postseason matchup, they were pitted against wildcard Arizona, who was in a free fall after racing out to a 7-0 start to start their season. You know, you split with the uh, the Cardinals this year, and going into that game, many wondered whether or not you guys were going to be up to the task and to be able to control uh, Kyler Murray. Um, but did you realize or did you feel like they were off a little bit, that there was something wrong with their team? You know, I feel like you see every year in the NFL, um, teams get off to really hot starts where things are just going your way. Turnovers, offensively, everything's dialed in. And then really you saw them the last half of the year, things just started to be a tick off the other direction. And so to get there and catch up and then win the NFC West and then get them at home, we knew that this was going to be a special moment for us. We were going to have a great crowd. We were going to have a chance to uh, right the ship and fix the rubber match, and, and we did that. 
So after his 34-11 victory over Arizona, you got to go to Tampa Bay. You guys are actually controlling the game. The whole first half, you're all over Tampa Bay and Tom Brady. And I'm thinking that you guys are probably saying, oh, we, we get Tom Brady over there. This game's not over by any stretch of the imagination. The turnovers start. All of a sudden, the comeback starts. There's a false, there's a bad snap. Matthew's not ready for it. I mean, all sorts of crazy things were happening to you guys in the second half. How were you able to win that game when that momentum shift was so titanic in the second half against the Bucs? I think it's a great example of exactly why Matthew Stafford is a much better quarterback than people sometimes give him credit for. Is, uh, he basically, uh, you know what, took over the ship with no time left and said, I'm going to find a way to make this happen. And, and him and Cooper Cup just uh, willed their way to finding a way to get down there and get us that field goal and say, we're not going to give Tom Brady another chance. Why wait for overtime? Let's do it right now. And, and uh, I think that was really one of those moments that you knew Stafford had played really well in the Cardinals game. But in that moment, I think he really took that next step where people all of a sudden go, wow, okay, this guy, not only is he a great talent and a great football player and guys you know, love him and endear to him, but he just clicked that ne extra gear that makes you realize that this guy could do something really special with his football team. And I think that's when we became really confident not only that we already knew who we had, but like, wow, okay, this guy's got the extra gear to make the kind of plays that give you the opportunity to go to a Super Bowl. Now you're playing the NFC Championship game. You're going against the San Francisco 49ers. They've had your number now six games in a row. Um, I'm sure that had to be internally a discussion point. I know externally for us in the media, that's all we were talking about. Can they overcome this six-game losing streak to the 49ers? How did Coach McVay handle that week? You know, I thought it was one of the best weeks we've had getting ready for them because I think really if you look at the Week 18 game, the reality was is that we had played better football than them and then just gave them an opportunity at the end of the game to get back in the game and then had a miscommunication in the secondary that gave them a chance with no time left to score a touchdown and send it to overtime. And, and we really thought, hey, you know what, like all we got to do is just simply execute and we win that football game. So it really gave us the confidence that we knew – the exactly that they were confident they'd won against us, but they also knew that the last time we played, we'd give them our best shot, and they barely got out of there with only with us making a mistake. And we thought, man, if we can just eliminate mistakes, uh, we'll have a chance to beat this team. And it, it panned out exactly what we thought. They're one of the most physical, hardest playing teams in football on both sides of the football field. I couldn't have more respect for the 49ers and, and in the way style of football that Kyle Shanahan has those guys playing. And we knew that was going to be a war. It was their crowd. It was It was uh, in our stadium. It was loud. We were on silent count. They weren't. And uh, it was quite a show. But it was unbelievable to be able to have that moment to come back and win that game. You know, it's amazing you win that game and then all of a sudden, here come the Bengals for Super Bowl 56. I mean, a story couldn't have been written any better for you personally, your family personally. The fact that here you are going against a team who, by the time you left here, they thought you were too old to be a starter and they didn't want to pay you possibly. And here you are with the Rams. What a moment that must have been when you knew that you're going against your former team. It really was. I can remember as we went to go out for the game after we'd done pregame warm-ups, somebody screamed in there that Cincinnati had made the kick and, and won the game. And I just had a feeling come over me like it's it's inevitable we're going to be there. So we're going to find a way to win this game no matter what. And I thought it was one of the most just different halftimes I've ever had. When we went in the locker room in the 49ers game. Um, Sean McVay literally just stood in the middle and was like, guys, I just refuse to believe you guys aren't going to find a way to beat this team. No matter what happens in this next half, just know it. We're going to beat this team. 
And so when we went in and, and found a way to win, I was like, man, I get to go play an organization I couldn't love more, couldn't respect the people in that building more, a city I couldn't love more, uh, that our family still loves. My kids still wear their Bengals jerseys every Sunday when I'm not playing, you know, and watching Bengals games. Um, it, it couldn't have been just a more dream scenario for us. I mean, we were pinching ourselves for two weeks. Just what an unbelievable, cool opportunity uh, for me and my family. Well, you guys deserve it, and we'll be back with Andrew Whitworth, who'll share his views on the joy of giving. Welcome back to Game Time with Boomer Esiason. Welcome back, everyone. In his sixth and likely final nomination, Andrew Whitworth was finally named the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year in tribute to his excellence on the field, along with his philanthropic endeavors in Los Angeles, Cincinnati, and Louisiana. And I know personally just how hard you work, uh, Andrew. And I saw your speech at the NFL Honors Dinner. It was amazing. Uh, why is it better to give and re- uh, than to receive in your eyes? I just think the unique opportunity to always remind yourself uh, how you get places in life. There's always people along the way that have helped you get there. There's always somebody that's poured into you or an opportunity that's presented itself through somebody else. And so to me, just being able to go in the community and make sure people know that you care about them, make sure that you know you'll help them have their opportunity and remind people what it is that helps you get there so they can look around and find those things that they can lean on and that they can believe in. And and then there's other people that just haven't had any opportunity. And maybe I have the chance to give them an opportunity I was blessed with. And, and to me, the greatest thing I can do as an NFL player is to make sure communities and people across our country know that uh, we don't take for granted what we get to do for a living. And we're going to remind them that we care about them and that we're going to support them and that we know that we're all in this thing together. You know, I was a voter for this award for many years, and the amount of information that they give you regarding the 32 candidates from the 32 teams is remarkable about how much goes on in an NFL player's life and how much they do give back. And in your case, you give back to Los Angeles, Cincinnati, and Louisiana, and it's a broad range of charities. What are your goals and what are your hopes to try to accomplish? You know, for me, it's really just kind of meet people where they are. I think sometimes, you know, you can get so caught up in maybe having the perfect event or the the perfect thing that you do. And it's really, I I just kind of say, hey, look, let let me uh, find ways that people need and and what what people are looking for, you know, from their community and support that people are looking for. And and I'm going to go try and meet them where they're at. And so that's why really in my time in Louisiana and Cincinnati and L.A., it's really been a a vast different amount of charities because it's like I don't really want to do something that has my name attached to it. I want to do something that is for what people need. And if I can help in some way, if I can speak at something, if I can volunteer my time, money, my my voice, whatever it is, um, I want to give that opportunity to just meet people where they are and help them get to the point they want to get to. And I think that really, to me, is what's important to me. It's not about what recognition is given, but what opportunity I can help somebody have. You know, what people should know is that your wife, Melissa, and your kids are involved as well. And why do you bring the kids into it and what is their purpose? 
Well, we just believe that that starts in our home. I mean, if we really want to make changes that, that last a lifetime in people's lives, it, it's it's about our kids having that heart. It's about them understanding why it's important, them growing up and realizing, man, there's a lot of unique opportunities they get being the children of an NFL player. Um, we just want our kids to understand how important that is and how special that is. Because one day, whether they're successful in a sport or a business or anything else, all those things are great. And wonderful, but we want them to be able to fall back on the fact that they're there for people first and foremost. Tremendous message, Andrew. We'll see how well Andrew Whitworth really knows the Queen City right after this. Drive into Manhattan for an unforgettable staycation at Midtown Manhattan's luxurious Kimberly Hotel. Treat yourself to New York City without the crowds, protected by our highest safety and hygiene protocols to keep your family safe. It's game time with Boomer Esiason. We're back with Andrew Whitworth, who has said that Cincinnati community means the world to me, adding that it was a place for 11 years that I served as captain and gave my heart and soul to that team, meaning the Bengals, of course, and that community. So uh, I know how competitive you are, Andrew, so I have a little uh, game that I like to call Cincinnati Kidding. Are you up for a challenge right now? Uh, I hope so. We'll see. All right, here we go. Question number one. Boston is known for its beans. Philadelphia is known for its cheesesteaks. New Orleans, as you know, is known for its po' boys. Cincinnati is known for its... Oh, Skyline Chili, the chili. Chili, very good. This breakfast sausage patty is synonymous with Cincinnati's German heritage. What is it? Oh, man. Um... I'm bad on this. Lord, get I need to get back to Cincinnati. It's called Get Up. Get Up. Get Up. Yep. See, right. I'm thinking Boudin. The Louisiana comes out quick. You know? <laughs> we should probably done something about New Orleans for you, I think. All That's right. right. Here we go. You, you the New Orleans one. All right. Here's the last one. If you don't get this one, then you don't love Cincinnati, okay? Oh, man. Here we go. This Cincinnati born Hall of Fame quarterback won the Heisman Trophy at Navy. And like you, is an NFL Man of the Year award winner. He was also MVP of Super Bowl VI before making his fortune in Texas real estate. Who is he? That is a fantastic question, and I have no earthly idea. Come on. I do not. You, you know, I'm not a Cincinnati history historian, you know. All right, so I if, I say, if I say the name Roger Staubach to you, do you know who that is? I definitely know the Dallas Cowboys. See, if you'd yes. asked me this is the Dallas Cowboys question, you may remember <laughs> I'm a North Louisiana kid. I grew up watching the Cowboys. All righty, Andrew. It's great to see you, man. Congratulations. I'm so happy for you. I appreciate it so much. I'm going to go Google a Cincinnati historian book right now. <laughs> okay. Hey, thanks so much, Andrew, for joining us today. And to all of you out there watching, I'm Boomer Esiason, and I'll see you again soon right here on Game Time with Auburn Tigers head basketball coach, Bruce Pearl. All right, two more questions for you. What did uh, Matthew Stafford get you guys for Christmas? Uh, he got us Rolex watches. All right, how many of those do you have? Oh, man, that's only that's it. I'm, you know, I'm not a big jewelry guy. And finally, are you ready to uh, announce your retirement or not? Have you had enough time to think about it? You know, I'm, I'm about 5% more in the direction of retiring, but I'm not, I'm not fully retired yet. Whether or not you retire, just enjoy your life, man. And it seems like you do.